five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, space enthusiasts. After a short travel-induced break, we are back with a new episode. My guest this time is Shay Sabripur, the founder and CEO of a company called Cesium Astro, which is a prominent US-based later-stage startup in the satellite communications area. Specifically, they design and build phased-array communications platforms, actually not only for satellites, but also for other aerial platforms like drones. You may now wonder what phased-array is, but don't worry, Shay explains it in the episode. In any event, it's important technology, as also evidenced by the fact that Cesium Astro just managed to raise a $60 million round a couple of months ago. Please enjoy my conversation with Shay. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator, Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide, Check them out at isunet.edu. And just some final things before we start the episode about ourselves. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. If you want us help expand our work, you can do so and support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. And we'll also put that link in the episode notes. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Hello, everybody. It's finally time again for another episode of the Space Business Podcast. I'm thrilled this week to have as my guest, Shay Sapripur from Cesium Astro. Welcome, Shay. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And Shay, why don't we start off as uh, always on the Space Business Podcast, if you could give us uh, the quote-unquote elevator pitch on Cesium Astro. Yeah, Cesium Astro is a company that uh, I founded uh, five and a half years ago uh, to focus on uh, active phased array technologies uh, for satellites, uh, drones, uh, commercial aircraft, and other applications. This is uh, this is something that I have uh, been passionate about all of my career, uh, wanted to be involved in uh, more agile, small satellites, and be able to provide technologies that can reuse the frequency uh, and use the spectrum in a more efficient way. Okay, and since we are, we always market ourselves as sort of a, a non-technical podcast, because one of our objectives is to attract more people from, from outside the existing space community, I have to ask you to explain the uh, what the phased array antenna is. Yes, uh, active phased arrays have been around for decades and decades, and they've been used in various uh, applications. Uh, essentially, you can think of it as transitioning from, uh, let's say, uh, 1G uh, cellular network to now 5G and beyond and 6G, hopefully, uh, in a decade. It, it basically provides you with electronically steerable RF beam, electromagnetic waves, and, uh, allowing you to point the beam 
where the customers are and allows you to create multiple beams so you can reuse the frequency, allows you to share the beam and, and, and a lot of other benefits that active phase arrays uh, provide you. For example, if you had one large uh, beam that covers all of, uh, let's say, Zurich, uh, and as users start using the, their cell phones, you can saturate the beam very quickly because everybody's using that one frequency that's being broadcast mm -hmm. or, or, or illuminating the entire Zurich area, for example. Uh, as technology grew, as you know, we added more and more smaller cells so you can reuse the frequency and so that more people can join the network. Uh, the, the same works for satellites. If you have a satellite uh, in orbit, that covers an entire uh, continent, you know, in this, in our, in our case, uh, continental uh, US, uh, that large beam was used for broadcasting applications where uh, signals were uploaded, uh, uplinked to the satellite and then downlinked to the entire country. And that was good for broadcasting. But when you, when you want to have a point to point uh, communication, you can see that it's not a good efficient way of uh, uh, providing that uh, uh, that beam. And what you want is uh, uh, steerable beams and shapeable beams that cover ge geographical areas. And then if the business plan changes and you want a different plan for the satellite, you can uh, reuse the satellite. Let's say you move over, move the satellite over to Europe. I'm talking about geostationary satellites. You move the satellite over to over to Europe and reshape the beam to, to serve that market. Now, as we expanded towards low Earth orbit satellites and uh, medium Earth orbit satellites, uh, uh, this then it necessitates active phase arrays because you, you know satellites move overhead in, in, in a couple of minutes and yeah. the satellite and the, and the user need to point the beam at each other. That's where active phase arrays really become a necessity and you really don't have a lot of good choices other than using electronically steerable beams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that because I mean, if you, as you, like you mentioned, as you go from Geo to, to Leo, right? And that's why we always also have these really big constellations, right? Because you obviously need many more satellites yes. than cover an area because if you are uh, in a sort of ISS type orbit, it's, it's a 90 minute orbit period right so right. you need quite a few satellites in the shell so this kind of um uh, concept um you know has been around for for, for a while of leo constellations right Fam famously sort of in the late 90s mid late 90s right a few people have tried uh, correct me if i'm wrong because you've been in the industry much longer than myself right i think one big reason is that a lot of the constellations failed in the sort of mid late 90s you know the people like uh, ico iridium in its first uh, iteration and, and the global star and so forth is was because of the terminals if i understand it correctly and because they were very expensive at the time have have we made progress in that regard yeah and made. I, I wouldn't say that they failed because of uh, terminals. I think I think the technology in many aspects uh, were not quite ready. But companies like Iridium were, you know, they had a successful technology in orbit. They successfully launched their satellites. Uh, it was just a business. Uh, more more at the at the time, it was more of a business failure. Uh, time to market and other aspects that were involved in those things. Uh, perhaps uh, perhaps the, the it, it wasn't the right time for those Leo constellations. But you're right. Also, the technology required to make a successful LEO constellation are uh, technologies such as phased arrays on the satellite, uh, efficient, low-cost phased arrays on the satellites. You need a lot of satellites, right? You need, uh, you need, uh, as you can see from Starlink and others, you need uh, to really serve a good broadband market. You need thousands, uh, if not tens of thousands of satellites uh, in orbit and so that you have to make them inexpensive. You have to make them reliable. 
so technology is required for the satellite as well as the ground terminals. And ground terminals, as you can imagine, they cannot be $10,000 or $50,000 a piece. So th there's been incredible progress made for both ends of this uh, technology need, both uh, like what we do for satellites and drone, as well as what we don't do uh, at our company yet is ground terminals. But both both of those technologies are maturing quite nicely. And and, and I assume the, the price has come down in comparison to the down. down. Yes, drastically, drastically, yes. We're talking about sort of like an order of magnitude or magnitude. Yeah. We built phase the race today for space uh, and, and drones and, and commercial aircraft that are an order of magnitude less expensive uh, than the ones uh, I used uh, uh, in my career at, at a major prime contractor. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, over the past uh, uh, 20 years, as we have gone from, you know, 3G to 4G, 4G LTE and 5G, uh, and also advent of um, a lot of automotive technologies uh, resulted in a, in a lot of chipsets that quite honestly weren't available uh, uh, in, in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, so we've made incredible investments in the semiconductor industry uh, to build uh, chips and, uh, and technologies that uh, make this possible now uh, for this sort of new uh, low Earth orbit uh, space economy. Let's take a step back because you mentioned your career somewhere down the middle. How did you decide to start Cesium Astro? What's what's the sort of origin story there? How, what was your motivation? Uh, I'm an electrical engineer. I, I started my career at Lockheed Martin Space Systems Company. I, I was there for 24 years. I was involved in uh, uh, a number of geostationary satellites, uh, uh, you know, ranging uh, from smaller geostationary satellites to very large, both commercial and uh, defense applications. And uh, these satellites were uh, really awe-inspiring because they're quite complex and uh, and serve a very good purpose. Uh, but I always wondered, uh, you know, uh, there is a need for more agile, um, uh, you know, agile uh, smaller satellites that can serve, uh, 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 you know, the telecommunication and some other applications uh, better with uh, uh, with software-defined uh, satellites, with software-defined smaller satellites using phased array technology. That's something that I. Um, uh, started thinking about uh, in the 1990s, and uh, and ultimately, um, uh, although we pioneered uh, some phased array technologies at Lockheed Martin, uh, I really wanted to make this uh, more commercially available as a full stack product. Uh, and that's one of the differentiators in our company is that uh, phased array communication payloads uh, are quite complex. Uh, and if you want to make this commercially available to various companies, and let's say um, some of these air tax companies uh, who want to focus on their business plan, they're not communications people, you've got mm -hmm. to prove the product that they can use right out of the box. And that was the pillar of our company that uh, you shouldn't, uh, you know, we want to build a product that works right out of the box and it has all the uh, subsystems necessary for them to put it on any platform. That's easier said than, than, than done. Mm -hmm. Because it involves antenna technology, radio frequency, uh, chipset technology, software-defined radio, compute, uh, power, and all of this has to be assembled in software, DSP, algorithms. All of this has to work together to create a, a product uh, that can be used on multiple platforms: satellites, drones. It's, so, it's it's a it's a lot harder than it, than, than it seems because uh, these type of platforms have different requirements. Satellites have a different set of requirements. Drones have a different set of requirements. Commercial aircraft has a different set of requirements. 
requirements. So we came up with these Lego-like building blocks uh, that allows us to build very sophisticated communications and sensing, RF sensing technologies uh, using a set of uh, bricks, essentially. So we have frequencies from L-band um, in a gigahertz or so, all the way up to V-band, up to six gigahertz, that you can rack and stack and choose various components to build a very complex payload. For a customer who doesn't really have communication expertise, they can put it on their platform and use it right away. Now that 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 was the pillar of our company and uh, the reason we exist. So just because we, we usually have, I think, also a lot of sort of um, aspirational entrepreneurs listening, that now sounds like, you know, you were, you were doing many, many things at once, but was it really like that? Or was there sort of like a step-by-step -step and maybe a minimum viable product when you didn't have all of the pieces ready yet? Because I guess there's also sort of like always the funding restriction. Yeah. How did it look along the five and a half years? That's a very good question. So uh, it does, the kind of technology that, that we've developed uh, requires pretty much every field of electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, some aerospace, a lot of software and the, uh, and the full stack software. And so we started the, With a core technology, uh, we started at one frequency. Uh, our, our most mature product is uh, a KA-band uh, active phase array system. So we started with that, gathered uh, all the required talent uh, needed uh, to build this system. Like I said, everything from uh, DSP to software to firmware to the hardware itself. And we built these products. So our Gen 1 products actually have been completed. Uh, we've started marketing them. They've been qualified. Uh, and then uh, now we're investing in our Gen 2 product to expand the frequency ranges and go to other frequencies. Um, so um, yeah, step by step. And uh, one of the things that I can tell you is uh, we started with this core technology, but then now we've announced that uh, our, we, have, we have started a division uh, in Broomfield, Colorado, that's building a small satellite, uh, not a CubeSat, but a small sat, uh, about 150 ESPA class, so about 150 uh, kilogram satellite around our phase arrays so that now we can provide the full stack solution uh, to our end customers. So you will provide the satellite as well? As well, yes, yes. It's uh, it's something that was in stealth mode for, for a while, but uh, we've made that announcement uh, at, at our Series B round that uh, uh, we're expanding uh, our vertical integration of our satellite. Again, this is not to build a constellation or compete with uh, uh, constellation providers, rather than we want to be able to sell uh, our uh, full stack technology to our end customers. Uh, which so people who may want to do constellations. Uh, for, for people who may want to do constellations, or it can be a government application, it can be a number of other applications that require uh, require our technology, but uh, they can't just buy the uh, payload and then they have to go find a satellite company. So we decided to build a satellite around it uh, to sell it to those customers. Uh, at the same time, I can tell you that uh, we continue to sell our, our phased array products uh, to all customers around the world. Uh, so um, uh, it, it isn't that you, you have to buy our satellite. Uh, we sell our phased array as a, as a building block as well by itself. Yeah, because that, that was going to be my next question. There's obviously a number of um, both traditional satellite integrators out there, as well as, you know, any number of, I'm just going to say newcomers, even yeah. though some of them have been around quite a few years now, right? Yeah. Why, why did you feel that need to, to, to enter the field yourself? Uh, as far as why in the satellite? Uh, yeah. yeah. I think you know, the main reason is that, uh, you, you know, there are many customers who uh, really don't 
don't have the capability or don't have the required staff uh, to take a, a very sophisticated communications or RF sensing payload and uh, integrate it with someone else's uh, platform. Uh, and, and I'm talking uh, about, uh, in this case, about satellite business. I mean, of course, our products are sold uh, to drone providers and to uh, aircraft. We're not, we're not building our, our own drones or aircraft, but yeah, satellite. Yeah something that we have a lot of expertise in, and that's our background, that's my background. Uh, and those customers have come to us, quite honestly, our government customers have come to us and said, look, uh, you have the payload, uh, satellite buses are now a commodity, either buy a bus from somebody or build your own. So we decided in uh, uh, January of 2020 to start our own uh, satellite uh, uh, capability. Uh, so that's those customers who want our payload, uh, but cannot really go to a prime contractors uh, due to uh, cost reasons or a number of other reasons to be able to directly buy from us. Yeah, and you mentioned this is a small set, so we're talking something like what, like 100, 100 kilograms, something 100 like that? kilograms, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And is this primarily for, for Leo? It's for, primarily for Leo, yes, for now. For now, I mean, uh, you know, we we might uh, have some applications that we're thinking about in a small micro geo as well. But yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you were talking. You started talking about your customers there. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of like the customer segments you serve and what is important to different people? How different people use your products in a value-added manner? A great question. Yeah, our, our customer set, uh, as it is uh, uh, with any small company like us, technology company in the U.S., uh, we've had great support from uh, our Department of Defense, and we've had uh, a number of contracts uh, with um, with the Air Force, Navy, uh, Missile Defense Agency, uh, NASA. We've had multiple uh, NASA contracts. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, some commercial customers that uh, we've been working with. Uh, these range in the from the satellites uh, to um, satellite communication to uh, satellites that use our technology for radar applications, uh, because phase arrays can be used both in communications and radar, um, to uh, uh, you know autonomous vehicles, uh, not 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 the phase array that's on the car, but a phase array that can serve uh, autonomous vehicles, um, uh, to drone applications, uh, to so a, a large number of customers, both in commercial uh, and defense, uh, are using. Using, using our products. When you when you talk to your um, different types of customers, since this is a very sophisticated, um, let's call it a deep tech product, I feel very often in the space sector, uh, in my experience, sometimes there's this dichotomy between you know the uh, talking to the engineering people, right? Yes. And then the engineering people who understand your product, they, they may immediately get very excited. But then you have to convince the business people to open the purse as yeah. well, right? And is that something that's uh, easy for you guys to do or how are you handling this type of uh, customer approach? It's been, it's been quite easy actually it's an interesting question because um, <laughs> I remember when I first uh, hired my first uh, uh, business development uh, director and he attended a bunch of customer meetings with me even as you said even at the at the, at the executive level or at the business level uh, he told me right away says like Shay uh, we've never had a bad meeting every every customer we we go to uh, their their sentiment is pretty much great uh, when can I have it and how much is it so it's really easy to convince customers who 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 need this technology this is an enabling technology for many applications. Uh, you know, if you think about you know, even commercial aircraft applications, they're, 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 the reason that there are a, a number of uh, flat panel array uh, companies now uh, that are using either passive phased array or active phased array technologies, because as you know, the internet uh, the connectivity on aircraft, the ones that don't use this kind of technology, they don't work very well. You have mechanically, mechanically steered antennas trying to uh, maintain connection to geos, uh, geostationary spacecraft. 
product. So it's very easy to convince customers that this is a technology that's coming, it's required, uh, Leo, Leo constellations are going up, and you're going to need this kind of technology, whether it's an air taxi or commercial aircraft or drones for the military or many other applications, you need this technology. So it's not a hard sell to even business people. It's just a matter of cost. When is it available? Is the right frequency available? When can I buy it? Where can I buy it? As you pointed out earlier, Raphael, uh, is the ground terminal available for this? Uh, so all of those things are, uh, it's, it's, uh, to my, in my opinion, it's a, it's a perfect timing for this technology. Uh, and, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it. Our, co our company cannot grow fast enough uh, right now. And, and speaking of not growing fast enough, so, so one sort of very common question um, when we're talking about high growth and um, potential um, bottlenecks these days is um, supply chain issues. I mean, just worldwide, many, many industries. Um, is that an issue for you guys? What are you seeing there? It is. It is. I mean, you know, we've luckily we made an investment in buying the critical chips that we needed uh, uh, a couple of years ago, and we continue to do strategic investments in, in buying the uh, chips that we need. But it is an issue. You know, the other day I got a quote for a particular chip that was uh, a lead time of 90 weeks, nine zero weeks, <laughs> weeks, 90 weeks. Okay. Uh, so, so it's, it's quite interesting market right now, but luckily we've been able to uh, stockpile uh, uh, a number of critical chips. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the way we've handled it. Uh, your types of uh, chipsets you're using is that have to be radiation hardened or um, what's the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we use uh, radiation tolerant uh, chipsets. Uh, we have done a lot of our own testing. We, uh, in, depending on the, uh, on what kind of uh, platform we're on, if it's a low earth orbit satellite, uh, we've also used some automotive grade parts that we have uh, upscreened ourselves and done the radiation okay. testing ourselves and ensure that they meet the mission duration and the radiation tolerance required. Uh, and then in some applications uh, that are long-term, even in LEO, requires uh, high radiation environment uh, and uh, radiation parts. And so we can buy those kind of parts. Uh, so both, both upgraded, uh, we call careful cuts, uh, sort of upgraded automotive grade parts as, as well as well-established uh, radiation hardened parts. But that essentially sounds like you guys are using like uh, like commercial off-the-shelf parts almost. Uh, automotive grade and above. Yeah, so we yeah. use automotive grade parts and, and traditional uh, radiation tolerant and radiation hardened parts uh, depending on the application, depending on the customer requirement. And sort of to what extent is that, like how much space heritage is there now? Like sort of roughly speaking, how much, uh, you know, how many um, systems do you guys have in space? And yeah, uh, we uh, we just uh, you know the, uh, the the first three years of our company we developed our Gen One products. We started marketing our Gen One products about a year and a half ago or so during COVID, and so we've just started shipping our product. We started shipping our product uh, middle of last year, and uh, and now we're shipping it. So uh, our our first space heritage will really happen uh, around October um, October of uh, of this year and. And multiple other missions uh, uh, next year. We did uh, launch uh, two satellites that, that was a hosted uh, payload. We supplied mm -hmm. our scale technology to uh, to a company, well-established CubeSat company uh, that uh, was supposed to integrate and uh, pretty much uh, uh, you know launch the satellite. And and uh, but unfortunately, uh, their satellite, even though it was a well-known satellite uh, CubeSat manufacturer, unfortunately their satellites. Uh, 
the two satellites uh, uh, failed. Uh, they failed to properly design it and deploy it, and it failed. Uh, the power system failed in orbit. So we didn't get to test our payload uh, in their satellite, but we have multiple opportunities right now. We're launching uh, with uh, several other companies as a hosted payload until our own satellite becomes available, uh, where uh, hopefully by uh, end of uh, 23, Q1 of 24, we'll have our own satellite. That'll be our inaugural uh, launch of our own satellite with our own payload. Terrific. And so, from that first test in um, later this year, what, what what are the main things you'll be you'll be looking for to come out of that? Right, we have uh, we have several tests of our own uh, of our own IP that we have developed that we're testing as well as with with our customer. We've had uh, uh, one of our customers is Defense Innovation Unit of the Department of Defense, U.S. Department. Uh -huh. We've had some NASA customers uh, that have been supporting us. And so we're testing some uh, link optimization techniques, uh, uh, waveform switching techniques, uh, and several other uh, uh, technologies uh, with our uh, KA band Nightingale that we'll be launching this year. You mentioned you, mentioned you started um, uh, with KA band sort of like in the, um, I guess, strategic map of the company to the extent you want to talk about it. What What, what, what comes next? So what, what would be the next product? Right, right. So uh, we we have had uh, our first, uh, you know, Nightingale working at a, at a uh, sort of a uh, K-band technology that's aligned with uh, 5G NTN as well as a NASA uh, uh, K-band, which is about 24 to 29 gigahertz. Mm -hmm. uh, We're about to roll out a, a traditional commercial and military KA, which is in the in the order of uh, 20 and 30, like 30 gigahertz receive and 20 around 20 gigahertz transmit. Mm -hmm. uh, our uh, our very next uh, uh, actually two frequencies that we're rolling out. One of them is at a higher frequency in the Q and V band, so uh, let's say uh, from upper 20s to uh, all the way up to 60. Uh, and then uh, the next one that we're working on is uh, in in uh, KU band as well. So. Uh, we have a design that we're, we've been working on uh, for a uh, commercial KU satellite KU band. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's in the order of um, uh, essentially uh, 10 to 20. Um, and and then we've also have, have had some defense uh, contracts around L band. So our L band technology is also quite mature. Um, so yeah, understood. And and then um, I, I guess I've been assuming we're mostly talking about sort of like communication between space and Earth. But is there also some sort of angle like of like in space communication? Also, inter-satellite links—is that also something that comes into play here? Right. In some in some applications, yes. For example, we we have been uh, part of a, a NASA Ames program called uh, Starlink. Not Starlink. Uh, Starlink. <laughs> It's a, a formation flight of four small satellites. Uh, we we uh, uh, provided the communication system for the inter-satellite link between those four satellites. So hopefully that those satellites will be launched uh, early next year. Uh, we that was actually one of our first uh, designs, and uh, when we shipped that entire system to them, it's actually operating at S band, uh, and uh, it has uh, it provides the ad hoc network. Uh, um, essentially, allows the, uh, the satellite. Uh, to communicate with each other and, and develop a mesh network, uh, if, even if one of the satellites fails, allows the communication right. network to be established. So that's uh, th that worked, uh, you know. And we've uh, and we've looked at also some uh, V-band inter-satellite link. But quite honestly, for the kind of Leo constellations that you people th typically think of, and uh, you can think of, is uh, a better fit for inter-satellite link is laser communication. Uh, sure. uh, so. Yeah. Um, 
You know, so there's, you know, for some close, uh, close applications for formation flight, uh, RF works. But, you know, if you're trying to cover four, five, six thousand kilometers, yeah. uh, laser communication is a better use of, uh, of, uh, of tech, a better technology to use in this case. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm understood. And we're, we're huge fans here at my firm of laser comms. And uh, yeah, Bruland Dalton from Mineric was, was yeah, on a few, a few episodes ago. <laughs> Actually, yeah, uh, that, that's right. I know Poland very well, and I'm a big supporter of that technology. And, and I guess it's it's all very complementary in, in, in a way, right? Of course, yeah, of course. I, I've always believed all of these technologies are complementary to each other. I've, I've never been one to say that, you know, one technology fits all or one orbit. Uh, Leo is everything or Mio is everything or Geo. I think all of these technologies, uh, small satellites, large satellites, uh, you know, phased arrays, laser communication, uh, all of these technologies are very uh, complementary, including including like satellite networks are not going to replace uh, fiber or our cellular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think all of these will have to coexist and yeah. complement each other to provide the best service possible. I've always believed that what ultimately matters is that a packet of information goes from one side of the earth to the other side of the earth with the lowest latency, the highest security and resiliency possible. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter whether it's going through fiber or cellular network or satellite. I think we will ultimately converge in a network infrastructure that's uh, automatically routes the signal, routes the packets of information in the most efficient manner. And that's why I've always been passionate about phased array technologies, because phased array technologies are the general purpose technologies that make this possible. And uh, so that, that's the future that I see, uh, really being able to uh, completely take these vertically still piped, yeah. you know, I own the spectrum and no one else can use it. I own this and I own that. I think someday, someday I hope that uh, spectrum sharing will be something that just is done automatically by some uh, AI machine that <laughs> allows uh, people not to interfere with each other and decide what's the best, the most efficient manner in which a packet goes from one place to the other and let the machine whether it's through satellites, geo, meo, leo, or fiber or cellular, do the optimization and say, okay, this is the best way. I believe that's the future. Uh, if it's not 10 years from now, 20 years from now, someday spectrum will be used in a very different manner. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's interesting. I mean, I'm certainly in our world of investors, we are aware of several projects. I'm, I'm sure you know the same people who are people who are basically trying to work on exactly that, right? Of course, facing certain barriers, but um, it, it would be sort of a very, I think, desirable outcome. So that is, is basically is a, is a trifecta of, um, what did you say? It's latency, um, uh, security, and, and I guess cost, right? And cost, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's sort of kind of touching upon my my next question I was going to ask you, which is sort of like some unfair, open-ended question, which is, you know, wh where do you see like, satellite communications going because like right now there's a lot of like moving pieces a lot of like recent changes you know sort of like going from geo towards leo laser comes coming more into play but what is sort of your overall your overall vision if you have any because you guys i guess must be thinking about this strategically yeah, yeah. it's it's who you sell to yeah no I, I think it's exactly what i was just talking about i think it's uh it's the culmination uh of uh these uh complementary technologies coexisting and working together as a as an uh, as a bigger system uh so uh I, I believe a geostationary orbit is a valuable orbit uh, uh it, it's uh it, it has incredible advantages uh uh and that, that will be used for the right uh 
right uh, application and right usage. Mio has uh, certain advantages. Leo has certain advantages. Uh, I think they're all going to coexist. I think we need to build this infrastructure. And then as we transition on, the, on Earth uh, to 5G and beyond, I think that will exist. Uh, uh, fiber optics <laughs> will exist. Uh, and and as, you, as you pointed out, with uh, companies like Menarik, uh, you need technologies that can link all these satellites together. Uh, and that technology needs to be matured. The cost needs to be lowered, as well as our technology phased arrays need to be matured uh, to get into satellites, aircraft, planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> and all of those have different cost points, uh, right? So when all of that happens and we can really connect this network the proper way, uh, rather than, and, and, and when we can reuse the spectrum in the proper way, uh, I think, I I think that's when uh, I think that's what I see as a vision uh, uh, for the company, um, and and we're providing a, a very important, uh, critical aspect of it. But there are many other companies who are working on other aspects of it uh, also. So that's the vision of the overall industry, and then I guess sort of your medium long term vision for cesium Astra is. It sounds like you guys are almost like. A, like a like a picks and shovels provider to that yeah. Of yeah two two parts of our company we're picks and shovels provider of that which uh, I, I like it's because it's a good sound business strategy yeah. Uh, it, it's. Uh, I've always believed when you build a company, you should really start from the core technology. Uh, you know, it's one thing if you have a business plan, and you say I want to put up a bunch of satellites, and then you go and say, okay, I got to I got to go raise five billion dollars. That's not so easy. <laughs> you know, my 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 approach has been develop the core technology that's required that you can sell as picks and shovels, as you pointed out. Uh, get some market traction, uh, and then build on it. So that's why we started with the core phase array technology. Technology. Within the next uh, four years, we will have frequencies from L-band all the way up to B-band to, to serve our customers. But we're not going to stop there. We're, as I mentioned, we're going to add the satellite component to it and, and sort of build inside out rather than outside in. I think it's easier to raise money and build a successful company if you start with a core technology and methodically grow the company rather than the other way around where you uh, create a PowerPoint and you say, now i got to go raise $10 billion. Not so easy. So our approach has been methodical, start with picks and shovels, gain market traction, and then build the techno, uh, the platforms around it that we're good at. Uh, we're not going to get into drones or anything anytime soon, but uh, yeah. base the race, satellites, and then we'll see what happens five years from now. So, I mean, you, you touched upon funding there. And so, okay, you guys are... Is that five and a half years old? So you were started, so I think, I guess somewhere in 2016, sometime in 2016. January 2017. We started in January 2017. Okay. So, so, you know, a lot of the things that people in the space sector now kind of um, talk about and take for granted, it was much less prominent then, right? I think Elon had just about opened his Starlink, first Starlink facility. Yeah. And uh, so, how easy was it to raise money back then for this vision? And and, and, and how does that look now? Yeah, uh, I mean, raising money uh, is, um, you know, raising money from the right investors, of course, is uh, 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 is what you have to do. I don't want to say it's easy or it's hard. You just have to, you just have to, uh, work, you know, work hard and find the right investors. We did. Uh, we 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 had seed investors who were very supportive of us, uh, and then we went uh, and we used that small investment as a seed invest investment to grow our team. Uh, it was a team of uh, three people initially, and uh, we grew our team. And then we raised Series A. And uh, like I said, the challenge was 
finding the right investors. And we've been very lucky to have incredible investors uh, that have supported us throughout the years for our Series Series A. And we just uh, closed our Series B in February, uh, uh, which uh, we're very proud of the investors we have. Uh, uh, Airbus Ventures, uh, Kleiner Perkins, um, uh, Forever Ventures, um, uh, and uh, Lavrock, <laughs> Franklin Templeton Black Horse, Horse uh, uh, Fund, as well as uh, Honeywell Ventures, and uh, uh, one of our recent uh, strategic investors, L3 Harris. So we're very proud of the investment uh, investment syndicate that we have built around the company. No, it's certainly um, a blue chip cap table. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Thank you. And how big is your team now? Our team is uh, just about 100. Uh, so I think uh, we have a couple of offers out. If uh, they accept, I think we'll hit 100 uh, uh, any day now. How many locations? We have uh, our headquarters in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Uh, and we have uh, a, a large office in Broomfield, Colorado. Uh, we just hired our first couple of employees in L.A., and we're planning to build uh, an office in L.A. We'll have some outposts in uh, in Seattle, uh, in Washington, D.C., as well as Boston. And we just established our entity in, uh, in Germany. Uh, so uh, we're... Mm about to hire our first employee in, in Germany as well to have our European presence. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, as we all know, the, the, the space industry sort of like uh, heated up the last few years. How is, is, is has hiring become more difficult or is it still just still finding people easily? Uh, hiring, uh, you know, uh, I'm used to being asked what keeps you up at night. Uh, uh, hiring keeps me up at night. Uh, okay. You know, talent acquisition is, is, uh, is really challenging. You know, it's a, uh, a lot of high-tech companies. Austin is very competitive. Yeah. Uh, this is why we're going to where the talent is. This is why we're opening offices where the talent is, whether it's in Europe or in uh, various uh, tech hubs in in, uh, in the U.S. We're going where the talent is. And so, yes, it's difficult. But luckily, I think we have uh, a very good culture and, uh, and a startup culture that people enjoy and a really cool technology that people uh, can uh, can enjoy as a career. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, I'm being based, I mean, just Austin changed a lot over the last few years as well. So it's Incredible. heating up. So you're like in an industry that was heated, that heated up and a, and a location that heated up very much and has, has its own gigafactory now. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. But no, Austin is a great, uh, great town. I mean, I tell you, uh, Austin is amazing. Uh, of course, Denver is also amazing. So I'm yeah. very lucky that we've been able to establish uh, our divisions in two really cool cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then we'll, we'll, we'll we can put a website link. Uh, to the extent you're hiring right now, people can go to your website, I guess, and find oh, yeah. out. Yes. Yes. All the positions are on our website. Yeah. Terrific. So let me ask you um, a couple of sort of non-CZM Astro questions um, to round off here, which we always ask is sort of one, if if you were not doing CZM Astro and, and, and face array technology, and of course you're sort of following the space sector in general to some extent, because that's where your customer base is, at least in Statcom. Yeah. Are there any other areas you find particularly exciting? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think I've always been um, very excited about, uh, you know, AI and machine learning uh, and uh, as well as robotics. I think uh, not only just for space, and I think that that, that, that will both AI and machine learning and robotics uh, uh, are uh, have a large uh, necessity in space. But in general, I'm very interested in those technologies. Uh, I think that's what you're asking me, what other technologies I find exciting. Yeah. I think yes. uh, personally, I think I find the area of AI and machine learning uh, for, for a couple of decades, I've been interested in it. Uh, and But uh, I've, of course, I've focused my attention on space, but 
Uh, I think autonomous uh, vehicles and uh, in general, uh, in general, uh, autonomous uh, or industry 4.0, I think, is uh, is an area that uh, that I'm also very interested. You know, auto an autonomous world. I think connectivity for an autonomous world is what I'm after for, with our company. But in general, yeah. I think uh, technologies such as robotics, uh, AI, uh, interest me greatly. Greatly. Well, now if we're talking about things like autonomous mobility, that's where really all of this comes together, right? This is where that's you. Right. That's that's right. Or, or the set and aerial comms using your technology is where yeah. you need the certainly a lot of AI, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I guess a, um, some type of robotics as well. So right. yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, if you allow me, the, the last question we always ask is the tradition um, is about science fiction and uh -huh. whether you enjoy science fiction and if so, if there's any particular you know, works you, you would like to highlight. Do I enjoy science fiction? I do enjoy science fiction. Um, you know, uh, you know, one of the reasons um, I'm in the space business uh, is because um, of uh, I, when I was a when I was a young man, very, very young man, uh, I, I used to read these books from uh, from Jules Wern. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I think that was my first uh, uh, exposure to science fiction, and then of course, like uh, most people, uh, I watched uh, as a kid uh, Star Trek and Star Wars. And um, unfortunately, nowadays I don't have as much time. <laughs> um, you know, uh, running a startup is a you know a triple full time job. But uh, but I am I am interested in science fiction as well. Yes, yeah, as, as I sometimes say, anybody who's a guest on this podcast is excused from consuming science fiction, as hopefully they help to create some of the science fiction. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> in this, in this sense, Shay, um, let me wish you the best of luck for your upcoming in-orbit demonstration in the fall. And I think that's yeah. probably the, the really big, uh, important milestone. Thank you, Raphael. It's a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. And that's a wrap for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. Once more, if you enjoyed this, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple or Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. You can support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an interesting space story to tell, or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. See you for the next episode.